Geeks, Countrymen, Lovers of All Things Design. This is Grits and Grids. Hey everyone, today I have the honor of speaking with Jason Frostholm. Uh, you may know him as the voice of the Creative South podcast. He has a litany of uh, accolades on his resume, but uh, he said he wanted to be a little reserved on that. So Jason, I'll let you say hi to everyone and maybe give a little bit of backstory. Sure. Hi. Um, like you said, I'm the host of the Creative South podcast. Um, I am also creative director at an engineering firm. And I am co-create. I, I don't think my wife and I have official titles, but we uh, we work together uh, in our company called Frostiki. Nice. So yeah, maybe like Dream Team, and then just your your maybe what a third of the Dream Team because let's face it, she's probably more important. Oh, definitely. Yeah, she's <laughs> she's the creative talent and brains behind it. I am the um, I am the production half and. Uh, sultry voice, <laughs> sultry voice. Yes, so she has a much better singing voice than I do. I can't sing with the crap. <laughs> I, w- w- what's your language policy on on here? <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm trying to practice. I, think I might actually woo Mike Jones on, but um, we, you can let him fly as far as I'm concerned. Okay, good. Yeah, I, I'm always careful with Mike. Um, yeah, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll, yeah, I cuss. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, I don't have a problem with it. Most of us do, and hey, it doesn't it doesn't hurt that. Um, so, little little back uh, story for everyone listening. Um, Jason is nursing a delicious New Belgium. What is it, tangerine IPA? That's it. Yeah, nice citrus, little hops, love it. Yep. And I am drinking a lovely Rapasso, um, 2015 from Remo Farina, which is just uh, not that expensive, but man, it tastes wonderful. So. This will be a fun little get together. Um, so, Jason, growing up, you had a, a wonderful childhood. <laughs> um, was there a favorite food to eat that uh, mom or dad made? And do you still go back to it from time to time? Yeah, favorite food when I was growing up. Um, so I moved around a lot as a kid, and I mean, you know, I mean, my mom always cooked and things like that, and. I did not care for it at the time, but my, my family's Danish and there is a dish called frikadella, which is the Danish equivalent of Swedish meatballs, essentially. Um, and I, I couldn't stand it as a kid, but now it's like something I crave. Um, that would be the homemade thing. And then my, my family's originally from the Chicago area and most of my cousins still live up there, but since my aunts and uncles have all retired and stuff like that, they've all moved all over the place, but we always got Lou Malnati's pizza, which is, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you haven't been to Chicago, it's, it's one of the iconic deep dish pizzas up there that it's just incredible. And I've heard I, all about it. Yeah. I, I know there's lots of people who live in Chicago who, you know, swear by the tavern style pizza, which is good. Um, but I, I'm still a fan of the deep dish. Is there something about it that that you feel just hits it? Um, in, in comparison, you know, it is. It, it's got this butter crust that's really flaky and um, crunchy, and then it's, you know the layer of cheese, and then a layer of sausage. And this isn't like you know when you go to Domino's and it's you know little sausage balls. This is literally a giant wheel of sausage that is the size of the entire top of the pizza. It's just one big piece of sausage. And then it's just topped with like their tomato sauce, which is really just crushed tomatoes and basil and a little garlic in it. And Mm. it's so good. So I'll have to add that to my bucket list. I've been to Chicago a few times Mm -hmm. and, and uh, unfortunately I've been so swamped that I barely came up for air, but I feel like Chicago is the kind of town that is, one visionary away from creating like a um a sausage hamburger pastrami reuben crushed between like deep dish slices massive mound of wonder and heart attackness all at once that sounds wonderful or something that guy fieri would try and i'm not a supporter of guy fieri so i you know i, I don't know whether i um crave that or fear that probably a little bit of both Right, right. 
I love it. Um, so, so how has I mean? So you moved around a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. Has has food and drink affected or inspired your work to date? I mean, you're creative director of an engineering firm, like you mentioned, and you also have a hand in a, a creative studio, and you talk to creatives. Is there anything that um, that really inspires you or affects your work in a wonderful way? Yeah, food and ooh, that's a tough one. I, you know, before my kids were born, when my wife shortly probably right before my wife and I got married, I started home brewing. Um, mm. And that was a great creative outlet in, I mean, not in the traditional sense of, you know, I'm creating like, like we do for our jobs, but it was a different type of creative outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, that and I've always just, I've always loved to cook. Like I started taking home ec classes when I was in fifth grade and which I really think was my parents' way of getting me out of the house and doing something. But <laughs> yeah. um, so I've always really liked to cook, and it's it's kind of that. You know, some people meditate, some people do yoga, some people go running or something like that. That's my Zen moment is getting in the kitchen and just cooking, and it's it, it's a it's a good way that I can let off some steam and kind of center myself. Yeah, I have to agree with you, and I think I mean a lot of people probably agree as well and don't really realize why, but there's something about cooking. Um, there's a meticulousness of following uh, commands. There's a little bit of art to it where you mm-hmm. want to break the rules a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's the smell, the steam, the heat. The It's a wonderful experience. And if you don't have a moment of Zen or the same feeling of meditation that you would have um, in the traditional sense, yeah. you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Well, and it's also nice that you get to hold a really sharp knife and chop through things. So if you're pissed off about something, you can just envision that those carrots that are you're chopping up are like somebody's fingers and you're That's right. off. Showing a little dark side there, I guess. But um yeah, you never know. think of like that. Never. I mean, it's not something I would really do to someone, but it sure is fun to imagine doing that um to a vegetable. I think that's the basis of uh, video games, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so uh, when you're designing um, a new something new, or you know, in your day to day, do you do you ever get to design like food and beverage stuff? Like when you were doing the beer, did you like design stuff for it? Um, you know, I really didn't. I don't know why I never did that. I have, I mean, have done, especially in college. I worked my my internship was for a paper company that we did specialty napkins, placemats, mm. all that sort of stuff for just, you know, from your mom and pop restaurant all the way up to Denny's was one of our clients. So we would get to design all of that stuff. Um, so I did a lot of that. And then recently I've had the opportunity to work with a really great client out of the Jersey City area. Um, called Morty's uh, food truck or, or Morty's schnitzel truck. And it's, I got to, you know, work on redoing their menus and then hopefully they're, they're in the process of building out an actual brick and mortar location. So we've been talking about doing some stuff with that. So hopefully that'll, they'll get all their permitting and yeah, you know, yeah. all that fun stuff that the, the city side of stuff taken out so we can, uh, we can work on that side of stuff again, but they were really fun to work with. They were really easy to work with. The downside of working on a, that menu was I was, they were not anywhere close enough where I could like right. try the food for inspiration. Right. So, I mean, have you had schnitzel before? You had chicken schnitzel or. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. But this is like this, they're a, they're a kosher mm-hmm. schnitzel truck. So it's like Jewish style schnitzel, which I don't know that I've actually had before. I've got a lot of like half of my family is Jewish, but they were culturally Jewish more sure. than religiously Jewish. So or, you know, or Israeli for that matter. Yeah. 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 So they enjoyed bacon like everybody else, but they also enjoyed kosher bologna. Um, uh, so very interesting dichotomy on those foods there. Um, but yeah, yeah, I've never tried it that way. So it like it, their menu. And when we get done, I'll send you a link to the menu thing, but yeah, we'll share it for sure. Yeah. Their, their menu is just, it's like Israeli pickled vegetables on top of a chicken schnitzel or like fried eggplant, but it's eggplant that's fried in more of a schnitzel way. 
Mm-hmm. And it just, it sounded incredible. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the fun, the interesting thing is, is for those that don't know in, in Israel and, um, a lot of other, um, <clears throat> surrounding areas, I guess I would say chicken schnitzel and schnitzel in general is a really, um, very popular street food. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have it in other cultures as well. It's traveled quite well. So you have schnitzel in, um, let's say Germany, sure. uh, like Wiener schnitzel and around those areas. And then, um, for, for those, uh, Sicilians and Italians out there of which I'm part, um, <laughs> You know the the classic um, chicken parmesan is is technically a schnitzel or a uh, sure. uh, what's the one I'm thinking of the um, the one with the wine and the mushrooms and the uh, marsala. marsala there yeah. you go yeah yeah that's technically a schnitzel so it's a, it's a piece of uh, chicken breast that you pound thin you bread it fry it and you get this nice crunchy outside and this really awesome in, um, interior and it's just wonderful French um, I feel like yeah there's Jason, like that we have different, a connection yeah. now. Well, I feel Dude, like we're connected in a way because we yeah. both have done, went down the schnitzel world. Yes, yes. I look if you're putting some breading on some meat and right? pan frying it, it's going to turn out pretty good unless you really screw it up. Yeah, I mean, heard. I mean, <laughs> it goes right. <laughs> but here's the kicker: so we designed a, a schnitzel restaurant here in Atlanta a while oh, really? back, and um, it is now it is now closed, unfortunately. Um, the problem is, is it's fried chicken. You're trying to sell fried chicken in the South, man. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> you're trying to sell it for $10 a sandwich. It ain't going to happen. No, you can't compete with that. I mean, and it's, I mean, and plus you've got Chick-fil-A, which is headquartered there, which I mean, I don't think is like the best fried chicken or anything like that. That also comes from I worked at Chick-fil-A in my freshman year of college and had way too much of it. And right. Um, but. And also, once you've seen how it's made, it's—I mean, not that they actually have very clean kitchens, and they notoriously bring, actually they, yeah. they bring in really pretty decent for fast food quality stuff and all that. But it's you know, I'm sure if you work at Dunkin' Donuts, you don't want to eat donuts all day either. Um, right, right. You but, get a little overloaded. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 tough to compete against real Southern fried chicken with with. I don't know, German schnitzel or mm-hmm. Israeli schnitzel or, or any other sort of fried product. And the South has the, uh, the corner on the market on fried foods. I, I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, it was a nice, it was a nice venture and made a friend out of it actually. And, uh, he, he now does uh data analytics for me, which is wonderful. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah. Cause he's Israeli and not to be racist, but he's very analytical. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. Um, so uh, m- moving right along, we know it uh, ends your day, a nice, maybe a nice beer, a nice pint. Yeah. Um, but what fuels your day? Are you coffee, tea, energy drinks? Oh, definitely coffee. Um, I've gone out and bought one of those giant 30-ounce Yeti-style <laughs> cups that keeps your coffee warm from about 8 a.m. until 1 p.m. And that I will... I will sip on that all day. Um, plus, there's a decent coffee shop that's right across the street from my office. Mm-hmm. So if I need to pick me up in the middle of the day or towards the end of the day, I can just run over there and get something. That's always nice. So I used to always enjoy the way uh, coffee. I'm a very big coffee person. And mm-hmm. we'll get back to what your favorite coffee is. But um, I used to very, uh, very much enjoy the way coffee, like I would pour um not quite the uh, tub of coffee, but a nice tall <laughs> Yeti glass of coffee. You know what I mean? Like sure. the uh, the thermos. And I used to always love how it would slowly turn into iced coffee. Uh-huh. And um, But we re- I recently purchased uh, new furniture for our office. And without thinking of it, the desks are metal. And so my, my coffee turns to iced coffee much quicker than I think I would like it to every day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Didn't, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so I might have to get one of those like uh, USB heaters or something. I don't know. Like the faster I type, the hotter it gets. Who knows? <laughs> um, but back to brands. Is there a favorite brand of coffee? Or do you run on Dunkin'? Or are you? Uh, no, I'm. Of- I mean, I'm not like a high end coffee connoisseur. I don't. I owned a French press once, and um, it was just way too much work. <laughs> like I'm a. I am. Pretty- I withhold all French jokes right now. I would just will withhold them. <laughs> Yeah, I, it was just it was too much work. I'm happy with my drip coffee coffee out of my Mr. Coffee pot with, you know, I don't know, whatever's I'm not going like bottom of the barrel like the bottom shelf Walmart Red Diamond brand, but <laughs> Folgers doesn't bother me either. 
So, okay. you know, um, I so honestly, you're not persnickety. You're, you're in it for... for me. Like in the morning, coffee is almost like a conduit for creamer as well. So it's, <laughs> there's there's a nice 50 50 mix between my coffee and my creamer. Uh, I love it. Yeah. So it's I like the caffeine pick me up, but I I definitely cut the edge with plenty of sweetener and that's uh, okay. creamer. Uh, and then I. I don't remember where I learned the trick, but if you put just like a little shake of table salt in there, mm-hmm. it cuts the bitterness down. So you don't have to use as much sugar. Mm. So that's a, that's a nice healthy tip for those who are affected by it. Now, Jason, I'm, I am Puerto Rican and Sicilian and uh, <laughs> a little bit of Slovak. So it's, it's the bitter. Like I want that, I want that stuff to like grow extra eyebrows and no, maybe I, like a whole so new I like, chest of hair when I drink it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like a little bit of bitterness, but it takes off that. I don't know. There's just something where it's, there's this acrid bite where, through the roasting process that you get mm-hmm. that's on the back end and you can take it away. You can just kind of tone it down. You still get all the, coffee bitterness without that acrid acridness is that a word mm-hmm. it um, is now yeah. yeah so that that's the part i like to take away interesting i'll have to send you uh, a couple of um suggestions not of expensive coffees but i won't bore the uh, listeners with my love for cafe bustello but it is hands down the best coffee I, out I like, there I, I i don't mind cafe bustello yeah it's I, wonderful um, every once in a while that's on sale and we'll get that too so it's, yeah, i buy it's, it by the tubs yeah yeah <laughs> So tell me, um, if you had to prepare one, so you love to cook. So uh, yes. let's just pretend that uh, your favorite person from history is back from a dead and not in a weird Roddy kind of way, but <laughs> shows up, uh, is having dinner at your house for one night. What are you going to cook for that person? Oh, wow. And who That's... would it be? Who would that person be? Let's just go. Oh, really that, that, that was, well, that was my first thought. I was like, who the heck would I pick? Um... Oh man, who from history would I pick? Not to go all sappy, but I'd probably pick like my grandmother. Oh, that's um, wonderful. Yeah, it's just, you know. Wonderful, but now I feel like you've painted yourself into a corner. I know. Um, what gonna, grandma, because you know she's going to be like judging you. I, she was never in that the best big. of ways. No, no, no. It was my mom's mom. She was never that huge of a cook, cook. So. She wouldn't okay. be that picky. She would, um, she would be happy. Um, I would probably do, and I don't, I have no idea if she would like this, but I really like to cook this, and I would hope that she would like this. But some like blackened amberjack with a citrus and tomato beurre blanc. Mm. So yeah, that's that's like my go to microphone and head your way. Jeez. <laughs> And I mean, it sounds really fancy, but it's really easy to make. Like it's, it's not, it's not hard to make at all. I mean, the, the hard part is just making sure that your sauce doesn't break. And if you're just Mm -hmm. patient, you can do that really easy. Funny how there's a correlation between that and design in general. I mean, it's it's not it, it's not what you uh, put in. It's it's what you leave out in a lot of ways. And the simplest of things are the most magical. I mean, oh yeah, hell, just a simple margarita pizza. I mean, done right, that is mind blowing, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at it throughout, you know, like the cooking stuff, and and compare it to design, a lot of times in design we get client work, and there's there's stuff that we need, and it's you know the client's not given stuff in the right format, and you know. I say partially through no fault of their own. They don't, that's not their world. They don't work in that stuff. But mm-hmm. when you get a, you know, when you get a logo from a client and it's in word right. you know, <laughs> and that's the only format that they have, you got to find a way to roll with it. And that's the same way with kind of with cooking and stuff. It's, you know, you can go to high end restaurants and they will have the best ingredients in the world. And they've got all this, you know, training and technique and all that, that, they put it together. And of course you're going to get a great meal from that, but it's when you're cooking at home, you don't have the best ingredients to world. And like here in Mobile, I de- Atlanta, you've got a lot better options. 
Excuse me. Mm-hmm. True. But, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been to Mobile, but yeah, Atlanta, Atlanta's food scene is pretty strong uh, Mobile, for those that don't Mobile's know. Mobile's not great. Mobile is, you know, home of chain restaurants and fried seafood. And, you know, we do have a Whole Foods, you know, but, <laughs> you know, but our grocery stores are pretty limited. Like Whole Foods is the fancy one. It's we don't have Harry's Farmer's Market or something like that. We've got, you know, Publix is our next fanciest thing. And then we've got a couple wind Dixies and some smaller ones, but mm-hmm. so you're not getting the best ingredients, but you've got to be able to take those ingredients and still make something that tastes good. And you want to be able to be proud of coming out and feeding your family with. So it's for me, that's how design and cooking lead up. You've got to take those, not always the best ingredients and still find a way to put them together and make something that's gonna satisfy everybody and it may True. not be you know your best work and it may not but but if you're making people happy with it then you're doing your job yeah agreed i mean i had a an uncle that um he said to me once when i was younger i want to say i was in my late teens and i was playing golf very poorly which i do quite well uh <laughs> playing golf poorly that is yeah me too. <laughs> and he said to me he's like hey you know, because I was talking about, you know, the clubs, the clubs. He's like, it's it's not the arrows in the quiver. Yeah. It, it's the skill of the archer. And I, I think part of that skill is um, understanding reservation. Um, it's the notes you don't play. I can I can break out all the uh, analogies. Sure. Um, musician, you know, um, I was a musician, I should say. I still play bass from time to time. But, you know, it's sometimes don't play anything. Mm-hmm. It could be the most powerful thing you've done. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um. All right, let's bring it up. Bang, Mary, kill. Now, this okay. is where we get really deep. I expect tears. I expect uh, copious amounts of debilitating guilt, um, mm-hmm. especially with this first one. What is your guilty pleasure food or drink? The the kind of stuff that you want to bang down when no one's looking and you would never admit to it except for right now. Oh, I'll freely admit to it. It's bagel bites. Like oh, they're yeah. abs- they are absolute crap, but I love them. And and you got like the pizza like, bagels, like the pizza bagels, like literally bagel bites. You got to, you know, you buy them in the frozen food section. I'm sure they're mm-hmm. in Nemesco or Conagra or somebody like that. And then you get some Hidden Valley Ranch and you just dip it in there to, you know, overpower the taste of the fake cheese and the crappy tomato sauce that's on there. Now, do that you is, go, do you go microwave with it or you try to do it like you try to church it up, put it in the oven? Do you do anything extra to them? Uh, I mean, I I tend to try to put them in the oven, but I'm not above microwaving them. Uh, I don't really know. I mean, it depends on how much cheese came on them. I might go back and throw mm-hmm. some more cheese on them because we've all bought those things. And like, there's like one white cube of cheese that's an eighth of an inch squared. And it's, you know, it's not even a hint of cheese. So you got to go back and like add stuff back on. But other than that, no, no, I keep it pretty simple yeah. with that. Yeah, I've been known to make magic out of Velveeta shells, but that's another story altogether. Oh, yeah. That, um, I, hey, I got myself through college doing, you know, all sorts of uh, variations on mac and cheese. So I, I completely understand. The mac and cheese gourmet. A little yeah, bit. exactly. <laughs> um. So next, what what would you marry? What food or drink would you uh, – you could live with that for the rest of your life? Oh. See, this is a tough one because this changes. Um, so, un- unlike my with my wife, I am I'm not faithful long term to foods. It's not a strictly monogamous relationship with food. Um, you philanderer. <laughs> yes, but I would I would have to say for the past few years it would probably be sushi, which is tough to get good sushi around these parts um mm-hmm. you would think we're right on the coast you could get decent stuff but now they send all their good seafood away and right we're, we're left with the not so great stuff well and imagine and i don't know and i'll preempt this this may be a prejudice but um a lot of the stuff that is caught in the gulf mm-hmm. doesn't really stick to your classic sushi menu um, in that I don't think, is there yellowfin tuna in, mm-hmm. oh, there is. All right. Mm-hmm. So I'm an idiot. What do you want? I'm yeah. not an oceanographer, man. I no, design yeah. things. <laughs> you can get most of the same stuff. You can get mackerel. You can get, um, red snapper. Okay. Pl- plenty of, there's plenty of options. 
They just um, send it away because they get better price for it. Oh, yeah. 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 Which, I mean, from a business standpoint, I can't blame them on that. From mm-hmm. me wanting to eat fresh seafood, um, you know, I'm not thrilled with it. Well, I'll tell you one of my most magic moments in this in this uh, career of mine is uh, had the opportunity to go out to Honolulu, Hawaii. We did a bit of work for a couple restaurants out there, and one of the um, one of the guys who became a, a good friend, we went down to the dock where he gets his tuna and was mm-hmm. able to eat a piece of tuna right off the tuna as it like just came out of the water, kind of thing. Oh man, a little bit of olive oil, a little bit of sea salt, and. Um, no tuna has ever stood up afterwards. I'm like, eh. I, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, it's just never going to be that good. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Now, see, if I wanted to go out deep sea fishing, I could probably get some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I will get seasick in a heartbeat. So I just, you know, mm. I'll settle for not uh, not doing that. It's a shame. Maybe maybe a, a slick bribe with a really good um, fisherman. I You know, trick. I keep trying to bribe my bo- brother to do it because he's got a boat and all that stuff, it has not worked so far. Man, family fail. Come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you had a great childhood. Come on. This yeah. is how's this happen? Um, all right. So moving along, what food or drink would you remove from you would just kill it? Just get rid of it. You don't want to hear it ever again. And uh just a reminder for any faithful listeners and just a note to you, Debbie Millman hates gum. Like gum? a lot. Yeah, really? gum, chewing gum. Like it to her, it is vulgar and vile. So mm. That's just an example. <laughs> I don't feel that way about gum. I actually, m- my neighbors when we grew up in when I grew up in Minnesota, what literally right across the street, he was a regional salesman for Wrigley's chewing gum. Mm. Mm-hmm. So he had just tons of gum, and I, I don't know how old you are, but if you remember Hubba Bubba, oh hell yeah, man, um, yeah, then we would just get our hands on that all the time, and. It was wonderful. So I, I, I still love gum. Uh, so, so for, for the younger listeners, hubba bubba, and correct me if I'm wrong, was um, oh no, I am wrong. I'm thinking of Big League Chew. I was about to really oh, they um, had that too. <laughs> yeah, same company. So, so back in the day, uh, to, like chewing tobacco wasn't this like refined stuff you would just pop in your lip. It was like strips of tobacco, and mm-hmm. of course, as a child, you can't do that. Um, but what they did do is they delivered you the same exact packaging, made really cool. They had caricatures. How cool were those packages, by the way? They still just sell like, those. Man. Okay, so I'm not that old. I'm just reminiscing, I guess. Yeah, no. I mean, it's not as easy to find anymore, but they still sell it. You can find it like at Target and Walmart. It's by the baseball cards, though. Yeah, it's, I got to find yeah, that again. And I only know that because those were brilliant illustrations, right? I mean, those illustrations were fantastical. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were like these caricature illustrations, and then the bubble gum was shredded uh, Mm -hmm. just like the tobacco would have been shredded. Yep. Because, you know, you don't want to hook children on that stuff, right? But I guess you do. Yeah, exactly. Um, As far as. Back to you. What do you hate? What do you hate? (sighs) Honestly, I cannot stand black eyed peas. I think they're disgusting. Yeah, um, music is too. Well, oh, that, right. Yeah, them too. Um, but yeah, the food is uh, it just it's the taste, it's the texture, it's uh, yeah, I just don't yeah. like it. I uh, not not a legume fan. Not not those ones. I mean that and lima beans, I'm not a huge fan of, though I have had lima beans prepared decently before. Um they were still bacon. not my they were still not my favorite food, but they were they were edible just there's right. no way around it. I can't stand black eyed peas. Well, it's good. Um, I, I think anything with bacon, but still, I, I can see how black eyed peas can be kind of gross. Yeah. My mother-in-law does not understand it whatsoever. <laughs> I don't know if I want to dig into this one. Oh, Jason. no. She, Do we I want mean, to go into this one? No, she's just born and raised in the South. She doesn't understand how I don't like them. <laughs> that, that's it. There's no, there's no deep thing, family secret or dirt there. She just she doesn't understand how I don't like them. You can't marry my daughter until you finish this plate of black eyed peas. I mean, what I, do you do? Look, I I eat them every year at New Year's just to be polite, but I can't stand them. That's the difference between Northerners and Southerners, and that's a wonderful trait. Yeah. Um. All right, let's hop into the grids. Let's get into the nitty gritty because I'm actually really intrigued about your career in general. I think, um, you know, so to remind everyone, uh. 
podcast host, which I'm sure we've all have had to listen to um, at the very least numerous times. And you know, I kudos so. to you; it's an amazing podcast. I, I really enjoy it. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Not just saying that too. I mean, that's that's uh, it's very very honest. Um, but you are part uh, owner of a um, what is it, Frostiki? That's what it's called, which is, which is a design and creative firm. And then you, you're also a creative director of an engineering firm. And I think this might be the one that actually really kind of um, intrigues me because engineering and design, I, I feel like it, it's like the Joker and Batman kind of oh, teaming very up. So. You very know? much so. And it, it's funny because like the technical side of things are very similar, but engineers mm-hmm. just don't get that. And they like that they have blinders when it comes to that. So they'll, you know, come to me and I need this and I need it right away. And I'm like, buddy, A, get in line. <laughs> we're we're a seventeen <laughs> right. we're a seventeen hundred person company. And I you know, when I say I'm creative director, that sounds really fancy. I'm also the lone creative there. Now I have Oh, we, okay. We have a marketing department, but everybody else does proposals, presentations um some pr writing stuff like that and then you've got me who's the lone creative so it's you know pretty much everything that comes through the door now we we did hire someone recently who has a little i'm not going to call it design experience she has some program experience with like indesign and illustrator Mm -hmm. so she can put together some some stuff on the fly if if i'm too overwhelmed um but I mean, I would say 50% of my duties there are working with vendors and managing, you know, we work with a couple of different ad agencies and PR firms and, and things like that and some specialty companies as well. So it's it's a lot of managing that. Um, so I, I have to farm out all of my cool work to those guys just because... Oh. Heartbreaking. And, yeah, it is. Um, but it's also, you know, being the responsible employee of, yeah, I would love to take this on, but I know that we're going to be better served in the long run by, you know, utilizing them for redoing an ad campaign, which we're in the middle of do- doing right now. We're redoing all of our marketing materials. And I mean, I have a pretty heavy hand in that of like, I give them ideas and I write out the creative brief of this is exactly, you know, kind of what we're looking for. And this is how we want to accomplish it. And, you know, put together mood boards and things like that for them. Well, and I would argue that that, that in there lies the magic that a lot of, I think, especially if there are younger designers or even, um, solopreneurs or, or singular designers that really mm-hmm. have never had a taste of a true team. And I, I don't mean that condescendingly. Um, I've just been a part of teams that aren't very teamy. It's very, oh, I'm I still person, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, um, I've, I've been a part of those teams as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're very, very siloed. It's very you. And then you're just kind of told what to do sometimes, but there, there is a magic to being a really good creative director. And that magic is very selfless. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I, um, not trying to kiss ass here, but <laughs> no, it, please kiss ass. I don't mind it at all. Let me just get up in there. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't get enough kiss assing throughout the day. I have twin nine year old boys. They definitely do not kiss my ass. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a shame. Well, so I will lay it on thick. To be a good uh, creative director is is a very selfless task because um, you have to find the root of creativity. And I think a lot of people don't see it that way. A lot of people see it as I'm giving up, um, not to, you know, requote what you just said, the the fun work, but, Mm -hmm. um, technically they are doing the thinking and stuff, but if they are good at collaborating, if people are good at collaborating, you are essentially the fuel that is the reason why a campaign campaign is so amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, it's a reason why we'll send back creative briefs to our clients, mm-hmm. um, not to bring it back to me, but if we read a creative brief and it is inherently boring, we're going to, we're going to send it back, not send it back and say, redo it, but like, Hey, let's get on a phone. Let's suss this out. Let's really talk about this and get it right. Because if this ain't right, the creative ain't right. Right. And, yeah. um, and yeah, I, yeah. So my wife and I do that with our freelance clients, you know, with, we'll get creative briefs from them and it's 
you know, it's like pulling teeth to get information sometimes. So we'll sit down and we, you know, we always do a kickoff call and like to have the conversation kind of figure out. And then when they send the stuff over, we're, you know, we look over it as best we can and we fill in as many blanks as we can, but we'll go back to them and ask, did you mean this or this? And, mm-hmm. you know, what's your vision here? Cause I'm having a hard time seeing it and I want to make sure that we get it right for you. Um, but you know, that, that's not to say that we're sitting there and doing everything that the client wants either. Um, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're very much when we have that kickoff call, it's very much a, look, we're going to provide you with what we think is the best solution for you. That may not be exactly what you asked for, but you know, trust us in this process that we're, we're, we have your best interest in mind. This isn't about making the next portfolio piece mm-hmm. or thing like that. This is about giving you a better leg up or, or, or defining things better for you for when you go forward and stuff like that. Right. And then, you know, on the reverse side of that with, at, at the engineering firm that I work for, you know, I've got to be able to write a creative brief that is open-ended enough that I don't stifle the agency or vendor, whoever's creativity, Mm -hmm. but I give a clear direction of this is what we're wanting to accomplish. This is how we're wanting to do it. We don't want to be, you know, the same as X firm, but we are in the same market. So there needs to be some identifiability that you can tell that it's not coming out of left field, you know, with something just completely different. And, you know, so that, that's not weird for the sake of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not weird for the sake of it or just completely not off brand. Isn't the right word, but off market, I think would be the better word. I've worked with one vendor um, and we were trying to come up with some new campaigns and this has been, Oh, three or four years ago now. Mm-hmm. And and they, th- the stuff that they came back to us with was just, it felt like healthcare ads. Like it felt very, it, it looked nice. It was beautiful. It was very effective mm-hmm. in a general sense, but it didn't feel like an engineering firm. It felt like it was for your hospital down the street or something like that. Yeah, that's that's actually an interesting point in that, you know, one of the things that I fight against um, with clients, with my team, with within myself is designing for uh, kind of what you just said. I'm not calling you out, but um, this doesn't look like an engineering firm. And my response is good. We did our job. Right. Um, well, but I not, mean, not so there, crazy are, there are exceptions for that too. Like I don't want it to look like every other engineering firm. Right. But I don't want it to look so far off market. Like you that, don't want a half naked trick with like uh, with protractors all over her, and it's like engineering the best you can get. I'm because I think sure. that'd be the best thing ever. I'm pretty sure that I know people who I work with who would think that would be great. Um, yeah, actually, you might get a lot of business on that, and if you do, <sighs> I'm not yeah. saying I emote anything. I'm just saying maybe you don't forget who your friend Joseph is. Sure, I will. Um, I will keep that in mind when I don't recommend that because I don't want to have. Because the unemployment line isn't that cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, it's like, I yes, I want us to be individual enough that we stand out from the rest of the pack. I don't want us to be so far out in a very analytical field, in a very straightforward, linear thinking, you know, there is a box there for a reason and you stay within that box, mm-hmm. you know, because we follow rules and, you know, all this stuff. I, I don't want to push those boundaries mm-hmm. um, any further than I have to. I'll get close to the edge, but you still got to make it where it's, yep, that's an engineering firm. They work in this sector of engineering because there's, you know, my company, we do heavy industrial engineering. So we're building, you know, chemical plants and refineries and paper mills and things like that. So, you know, I I don't want this 
glossy look. I want gritty. I want, mm-hmm. we're willing to get down in the trenches and, you know, do things, but I don't want it to seem like a lot of engineering firms, they do that, but they make it seem very impersonal. And I very much, you know, and, and my company very much believes that it's the people behind everything that make it happen. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I want it to be show that we're willing to get down and dirty, but I want to show people in that in those situations, not just, you know, a bulldozer in a, you know, power mill or something like that. You know, it's just that's cold and that's disconnect. And that just shows, you know, we're tough and ready. That doesn't show that we're willing to get in there and get our hands dirty and, and accomplish what needs to be done with putting our face and our reputation on the line. Right. And I think it's, it's, it's about um, not breaking away from um, how do I put this? So with an engineering firm, especially on the kind of projects that you just mentioned, um, instability and um, not innovation, but like crazy thinking that's mm-hmm. a that's a bad thing. Oh yeah, that isn't necessarily good at all. Um, yeah, so innovation for innovation's stuff. sake is is not good. Yeah, innovation just to try something. Yeah, right. Like, ooh, let's try this. It's different. Um, and so I think when when we're talking about it, doesn't look like a restaurant, or it doesn't look like a hotel, or this doesn't look like um, you know engineering firm. It's you can't kick to the curb the core reasons what of what people are looking for. Exactly, but you can change the narrative on what makes them different. And I think that's a very fine line, mm-hmm. which is going to lead me to another question that sure. is a rabbit hole or it's, it's, it's unexpected. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw this at you. Sorry. No, and feel free in advance. Um, so I have this thing where there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of students that are coming out of school right now, equipped with not only skills, Mm-hmm. but the quintessential story designer ego. And I think one of the things that isn't necessarily being done is teaching the difference between breaking the right rules mm-hmm. and, and following the right rules and understanding the difference between the two, like we just were talking about. So, um, you know, they'll fight with a client cause the client's always wrong, but, that's not necessarily the case. Nope. Um, would you tend to agree with this? And it's okay if you if you do disagree with this. It's just something that I feel like I've seen. I mean, most of the time there. Are, I mean, I think there are times where the client's wrong, but I think that's not a case where you tell the client they're wrong. That's a that's an opportunity for you to educate the client on a different way of thinking and a different approach to things. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, our job is to service the clients. It's it's mm-hmm. not to you know, make the best name for ourselves. That's an added perk. Our, our job is to solve problems and find solutions that work for the client and mm-hmm. to put them above ourselves when it comes to doing that. Um, you know, and, and there's, you know, different ways to approach that. There's some designers out there that will, you know, client tells them what to do, they're going to jump and they're going to do it exactly how the client does that. I'm Mm -hmm. not that guy. Um, but I'm also not the guy who's going to argue with them every step of the way of this is my way. And this is the only way to do this. I'm open to ideas. I mean, you're going to get your best work through collaboration. And in the end, your client knows or should know if they don't run from this client. Um, they, they know their business better than you do. They know that industry better than you do. Mm -hmm. And you know, like I said, if they don't know their industry and they don't know their business better than you do, then there's going to be bigger issues and they're probably not a, they're probably not going to be a great fit for you and they're not going to be a great client to work with. They're going to be that client that make the logo bigger and, right. you know, and, you know, well, you know, my nephew likes purple, <laughs> you know, right. right. Like, well, that's great. I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem with purple, but, you know, is is purple really the best color choice here you know i don't want to go into um i'm i just blanked on my example but i don't want to go into some restaurant where the colors are all like olive drab and this you know 
I can't even think of the color, but my dad used to right. call it goose shit green, like that ni- right, right, right. 1978 gremlin color. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't want to go eat at that restaurant. That's going to, that av- that bad avocado green or harvest orange that just screams 1970s. That to me says they haven't updated things, that everything's unappealing and it's, I'm going to run away as quick as possible. But by the same account, I don't want to go somewhere that they're doing this, you know, ultra modern trendy thing just for the sake of being ultra modern and trendy because mm-hmm. they're not, f- I don't think they're going to be focusing on what's important about stuff. They're going to be focusing on fads and that's not going to necessarily be the best experience. You know, it's interesting uh, the way you ended that because it, it almost came full circle perfectly. I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, the education of a client should be done in a way that is, um, humble and only when you're truly, you know, uh, I would say equipped to educate someone. Sure. So if you're designing something for, for your aunt's, um, you know, from your, your aunt's uh, best friend down the street, who's starting mm-hmm. a sewing company, blah, 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 has never started a company, doesn't really know much about the industry, then sure, there's some education that comes into this. But sure. uh, like you said, kind of, you know, early in there is th- these people know their industry. Mm-hmm. Your job is to listen, not hear, but listen to them and try yeah. to find out the gems in between the um, preconceived notions. Uh, and that that's where you, I think you really break the rules, right? Mm-hmm. Is like, hey, this is what you said, but this is what I heard and try to find that human behavioral truth, um, somewhere in there. And I think that's, that's amazing. Um, Oh, definitely. And I think that's, you know, with the podcast, that's one of the things that I've really learned and become a lot better at. I don't know that I was necessarily great at doing that before, but because of the podcast where you've got to have a conversation with somebody every week and you've got to put that out and you've got to listen, you've got to actively listen. You can't be, you know, kind of passively listening and halfway paying attention, you've got to know to, you know, uh, and I'm right. I may be putting words in your mouth, but your job isn't to talk the most, you know, if you're the one talking the most on your podcast, um, you're pro- and it's an interview show, you're probably doing something wrong. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that's with, I think that's the same with design. If you're, if you're the one talking the most in a client meeting, you know, and, and pitch aside and things like that, but in, just in a general client meeting, then you're probably doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. You're missing the opportunities, really. Yeah, honestly. yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny you say that. I almost think of uh, the Wayne's World scene where he's doing the radio interview and the guy's just going, "Uh huh, yeah, uh huh, uh huh, uh-huh, yeah." He's like, "I could just say anything," and you would just say, "Uh huh, uh huh, yeah. <laughs> uh huh." Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. well, and, and, and I think that's funny because you've you I have like with the podcast, I have had conversations like that where I'm so into listening to them and I'm trying to digest everything that I'm not as present as I should be as well. Like, I think there, there's a fine line between that of you can be listening so intently that you miss everything. And you've right. got you've got to ride that fine line of listening yet being engaged and knowing that it's a conversation and the conversation involves both people talking. Absolutely. So I'm going to uh, have a very terrible segue sure. into what will be the final question. I'm, I'm, no pressure. I'm horrible at segues. So go ahead. <laughs> that brings so many visuals of you on a machine that only has two wheels, but we'll save you know, that. I have, I have never tried to ride one of those. I, I would love to, but, um, all right. So just, creative South justify- 2019, yes. we need to bring segues in segue tour. I, you know, I'm right. all for it. We, we threw that out there a couple years ago. And I think we looked into it and it was ridiculously expensive. Yeah. So we need a sponsor too. All right. So Segway <laughs> yes. Tour and a sponsor. <laughs> yes. Yes. We, if only someone worked at an engineering firm of 1,700 people yeah. <laughs> that would sponsor something that has an engineering feat of amazement. Well, if only yeah. 
<laughs> that would be awesome. However, engineering firms are also notoriously cheap. <laughs> yeah, I know. We can we can reach for the stars though, right? Yes, yes. I have I have tried to get them to sponsor things before, and it's like, well, if it's a baseball team and it's three hundred bucks, we'll do that. But if it's sure <laughs> over three hundred bucks, mm-mm. that's right. Yeah, um, and they're going to want to see an ROI on that baseball team. For oh God, yeah, yeah, they do. I'm like, I, I mean, I can't give you one. Sorry. <laughs> All right, so before made, I open a can of worms, which you, I know I'm opening. <laughs> yeah, you, you made somebody's kid feel better. There you go. There's your ROI. <laughs> exactly. The smile on their face. It's irreplaceable. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you could design, redesign, I should say, any restaurant or beverage brand in the world, um, which one would it be and what would you do with it? Um, Man, we talked about this beforehand and I am – you know, there are so many out there that are terrible. <laughs> True. Um, but honestly, I think one of the worst ones I've seen as of late, and it's not even that it's that bad. It's just it's so boring, is mm-hmm. Olive Garden's redesign that they did recently. Mm, and yeah. it's been, I mean, it's been, I don't know, probably three or four years, something like that. But it's just so boring. But yeah. that being said, it also fits in line with their food. So, you know, it, I guess it works for them, but it's just, it certainly doesn't make me want to go to Olive Garden. It's um, safe. It's yeah, safe. it's very safe. And I feel like, I feel like that's a restaurant that is still sitting in that, that, you know, harvest orange, avocado green land that they're they're happy making the exact same thing that they've always made. And they're not trying to innovate because they're afraid of driving people off. And I think that they, they have some opportunities where they could come up and, you know, even in line with other chain restaurants, like, you know, I think Carabas does a lot better job than them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you look at like Maggiano's up in Atlanta, which I, Mm-hmm. think is owned by the same company as Carabas and all that. I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, these are all chain, but, but they do a better job. They do a, they do a better job of, even though, you know, they're a chain, they feel less chain like and mass produced in their branding, their food quality, their, their attention to, details i'm not saying that they're five-star restaurant and you're going out and you know having the best meal of your life here and it's you know it's not even authentic italian food but it's right i don't feel like i have regret after eating there either and every time i go to olive garden i feel like i have regret also they have changed those damn breadsticks and they are not as good as they used to be it's a shame it's a shame man why would you mess with the with gold i mean that that was your one that was your that was your grand slam don't ever get rid of it yeah yeah i don't know what they've done but there's something different about them they feel so much more frozen than they used to um yeah i'm trying to think if there's any other ones there's a lot of beer companies that i think just have really bad branding um, I think, I think beer is up, up, uh, they're at the precipice of, uh, an overhaul and a rethink of what defines a beer brand anymore. It's starting to happen on the, on the slow, on the lower scales. Yeah. It's more so, you know, macro is going to like reinforce itself. I think even more, um, I don't even count with macro because they're just, there's such a different entity than, but they really when you are. get to the, you know, and I'm not talking about micro brews either. I'm talking about like your standard craft brewery like i mean you could argue that sam adams really isn't a craft brewery anymore even though they fought for it but like like your new belgiums or um dogfish head or um ballast actually i really like ballast packaging stuff um dogfish head's a good one i mean yeah i love i mean there's 60 and 90 minutes is is an amazing beer yeah always has been and i grew up in the north so i used to go down there all the time yeah. Um, I, I really like. What would you do to that one? Um, you know, get rid of the damn oval around the logo for one. I mean, I think that's the easiest solution. You could take that logo holds up fine without having the oval. That right. that to me really dates it. Um, there's you know, 
that's one of those that it doesn't need a whole lot of tweaking. It just needs a little bit of finesse. And um, let's see. Sam Adams just went through a repackaging, so I wouldn't. I don't think I would touch them. Um, New Belgians got actually pretty good design. There's like uh, a good one. A good example would be Laguntas um, out of California. Like there still looks like a they were brewing it out of their backyard. Their mm-hmm, their packaging mm-hmm. is just it's a really good beer. It's won a ton of awards. It's you know all this stuff and it's. It's just bad packaging. It's got the stereo, a stereotype of a bad pinup girl on there. And I think there are examples of beers that actually have pinup girls on there. And this isn't a um, judgment on pinup girls because I love that art style of the 30s and stuff. Right. But and pinup boys actually don't sell nearly as well. No, they don't. Well, I mean, I guess, it depends, I guess it depends on the market you're in. But, That's um, true. <laughs> but, you know, if you're going to do that, do it well. Don't do it where it looks like you photocopied something, traced it, colored it in with some Crayolas, and then took Times New Roman and um, typed out your font and stretched mm-hmm. it a little bit. And then there's just, for such a good beer, it feels very amateur amateur in their packaging. Um, and I think if you get on the microbrew level, you run into that too. You've got a lot of people who just they're focused on their beer and they're not focused mm-hmm. on what necessarily is the best foot forward to selling their beer. And, you know, we eat and drink with our eyes first and with beer and stuff like that, that comes to packaging. So there's uh, mobile doesn't have a ton of breweries we've got in the area. We've got eh, maybe a half dozen that have popped up in the past few years since they basically legalized it. Um, and we we just had one open up last year. And their packaging is god-awful. I mean, it's oh, like... No. And it's like I know the brewer and I've talked to him about this. And the, the coffee shop across the street from my office, the guy who does the coffee shop actually owns that microbrewery. Okay. And they're, they're just dead. The, like the coffee shop branding isn't, I mean, it's not anything outstanding, but it's not bad, but this mm-hmm. stuff is like just bad graffiti art that's thrown together. And <laughs> again, they put the oval around it and then it's like this bad, each, each beer flavor has it's kind of bad packaging. This not great colors and it's you know just it's too regional in it's what it's trying to be but on the opposite side of that we also have one here that's called haint blue that they spent money on their branding and they've got this just i I love their logo it is um living in the south i don't do you know what haint blue is like not, not the beer but like the color um no i actually don't so, so it's almost it, like an indigo. No, no, it's like almost like a robin's egg blue, but a little bit lighter. So it's it's they, it, it's very southern thing, but mostly coastal southern. And you know the antebellum houses have the wraparound porches and things like that, so you could get the open winds and stuff like that. But for whatever reason, they would paint the ceiling of the outside porch this like robin's egg blue color on the underside. Mm. The rest of the house is all painted white and stuff like that. But the underside of that porch is painted this, you know, light robin's egg blue. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. they call that haint blue. And I, I used to be able to tell like the story of why they did that. And, but I can't remember it right off the top of my head. Um, It's actually, it's actually a beautiful color. I'm looking at the website right now. um, And and for those listening, it's H A A N T blue. Almost like ain't with an H in front of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's a beautiful color. Yeah. So, um, and I, I love their logo. How they, you know, took the H and they took the hops and they made it into a rocking chair as well. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just it's perfect for, you know, what they're trying to accomplish. It's smart. Yeah. Well, I think we can um, all agree, even though this one does have a bit of a weedy pattern to it, but we don't need another hop in a beer logo. We don't need the um, the mash paddle. And no. We don't need wheat or barley, whatever you want to call it. Um, no it's time to start thinking a little bit different and outside the box yeah, when it comes yeah. to this world. I mean, not that um, there aren't 
exceptions to the rule, but it, it's, yeah, the, we can, like you said, we can look outside the box and we don't necessarily need to do that. You know. Yeah. I think a lot of it comes to, you know, back to the risk aversion that we talked about with a lot of clients where oh, it's, yeah. this does not look like a beer logo. We need a, where's the hop? How are they going to know it's beer? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah. It'll be nice to see what happens with that industry in particular. And, and I think what I'd love to do is go back to um, the season two guests mm-hmm. and challenge them to maybe actually redesign the companies they said that they would love to and see what happens, <laughs> but we'll save that for 2019. Maybe. I don't know. Um, Jason, it's been wonderful having you on and I appreciate you taking the time out of your evening. Oh, um, thank I you have so a much. pizza really underneath did. a heat lamp waiting yeah, for me. Yeah. You got a family waiting for you or at least more beer. Yeah. Um, how do people connect with you? Uh, where should they, where should they get in touch? Sure. There's a few different ways you can uh, find the podcast at on Twitter at creative SO pod. Uh, same thing on Facebook. And in the process of building out a dedicated website for it. But in the meantime, you can go to creativesouth.com to find the Creative South podcast, shockingly enough. Um, and then you can find me um, on pretty much all of the social medias, Dribble, Twitter, Instagram, wherever, at Jay Frostholm. And that's F-R-O-S-T-H-O-L-M. Brilliant. And make sure you do follow him. Um, the podcast that he does is amazing. And... Um you know, he's, he's a great, 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 uh, host, I should say is the word. I almost said guest, but you are a great uh, guest too, as well. And I need another bottle of wine apparently. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you again for taking the time out and, uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Joseph. Once again, everyone, thank you for tuning in. Do follow us at Grits Grids. That's Grits Grids with no end in between on Instagram and Twitter. This podcast and the Grits and Grids blog is a passion project of Vigor, a restaurant and beverage branding and marketing firm based in Atlanta. Check us out at www.vigorbranding.com. And of course, we're all over social media. Until next week, stay hungry, stay thirsty, and be creative.